The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Daily Show. I'm so excited to have you all here. I'm Caroline. I'm your host. Uh, we have Kyle Coleman with us today. I really can't tell you guys how excited I am to dive in here. This is so cool. Um, we're going to talk today about how expert sellers book more meetings while increasing show rates. So buckle up. Um, so we have Kyle. Uh, we have Kyle here. He's the uh, SVP of marketing at Clary. Uh, and I'm doing sales enablement at Redis. Please feel free to connect with both of us uh, after the show. And before we dive in, if you are looking to level up in 2023, look no further than this QR code right here uh, for Sell Better uh, by JB Sales membership. So you'll have instant access to tons of trainings and resources. Go ahead and scan this. Check this out. Uh, really, really great resource. And of course, before we dive in, I wanted to give a quick shout out and thank you to our partners. We have Clary, Vouch, and Apollo. And today's daily drop is actually uh, a link from Vouch where you can increase your conversion rates and really, you know, up your workflow uh, as sellers through video messaging. So it's free to start. Don't miss that. We're going to drop it in the chat right now. But before we dive in, uh, I just want to know who's in the room. So we're going to put a quick uh, question up for you all. And if you could just tell us, you know, who who are you coming? Who are you coming to us from? Are you a, an AE, an SDR, leadership? It's always interesting to see who's here. Awesome. From all over the world, too. This is I amazing. Know. I'm seeing, okay, I see Floral Park, New York. I'm also, I hail from the East Coast. So represent if you're from the East Coast. All right. So we have a lot of exciting stuff to go through today. Um, I just want to start, Kyle, dive right in here with this concept that you have. Um, you know, I think oftentimes it's really important to start with mentality when we talk about sales tactics. Um, so can you kind of talk through not just feeling like you're a meeting setter, but actually a strategic partner with your business? Yeah, this is this Caroline for me is probably the most important thing. And we haven't gotten the poll results yet for who's in the room, but I imagine that many people here are SDR. So this is primarily geared toward SDR. Yeah, here we go. Okay. So half of the audience here is SDR. So sales development reps, business development reps. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, at many companies and in the market sometimes, <laughs> SDRs are thought of as meeting setters. You set the meeting, you hand it off, you go and you set the next meeting. And that's not the role anymore. That may have been the role 10 or 15 or 20 years ago or something like that, but that's not it anymore. That's not enough. It's not just about setting the meeting. If that's the only work that you're doing, you are devaluing your impact to the revenue process to your company. It is the reframe that I found helpful and that I would encourage you to think of yourself as. And if you're an AE, think of your SDR this way. If you're an SDR, think of yourself this way. You are a strategic partner to your AE. You are a strategic partner to the prospect. So it's not just about getting them to say yes to a meeting. It's about adding value to their day-to-day. -day. It's about understanding the internal sales cycle and adding value to your internal sales team. So find ways to do that and think about yourself that way, behave that way, and then you're going to be treated that way. And that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today with Caroline here is that mindset that you need to have to really think and act like a strategic partner and as a critical member of the revenue process. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, and and Kyle, to that point, you know, I want to start by talking about 
sort of a hot topic in the sales space, right? And that's multi-threading. So when you multi-thread, and I'll back it up a little bit, do you recommend multi-threading as a tactic that sellers use to be more strategic, right? To kind of align with being a more strategic partner for the business. What do you think about proactively multi-threading? Absolutely. Yes. So this this concept of multi-threading is most often given to AEs and in the context of running or managing a deal. And of course, yes, you should absolutely do that. But if that's where you start multi-threading, you're leaving a lot on the table. The multi-threading approach can and should be the way that you are prospecting to create net new opportunities to set those meetings because it's the way that the buying group or the buying journey is oriented. Like I, I, the last stat I saw is actually a, a bit outdated at this point, but it's illustrative of what we're seeing is this is a stat from Gartner where at an average company, 500 people, the buying group is 11 people, which means that through the course of the sales cycle, 11 different people are consulted in some meaningful way to weigh in on whether or not they should adopt this technology or solution or whatever it is. And that's not a 500 person company. That's not even a big company. Imagine a thousand, 10,000, 30,000 person company, how many different people you need to get involved. And this can and should be the role of the meeting setter, the strategic partner that is an SDR, BDR, or a salesperson, obviously, who's prospecting for themselves. So what do I mean by this? It's not just about your BANT criteria. Do they have authority? They need to be the one that has authority. And then yes, we can spend some time with them. That is way too rigid. You need to be thinking about all of the different people who are likely to have a say in the decision-making process. So that means it's okay. And I encourage you to reach out to individual contributors, reach out to manager level people. Maybe they can't move a deal forward or sign the dotted line, but they are use case champions for you. And you can gain valuable context from them about the boot, the facts on the ground, what's actually happening inside the company. And then you can use that perspective to tailor and craft really meaningful messaging and value props to the decision-making type people. So that's what being multi-threaded is all about. It's about getting a true perspective and building a fuller point of view on the account that you're reaching out to so that you can actually have a meaningful interaction with everybody at that account. Absolutely. And you, you put that so well. And I will say too, when I was an SDR, I used to get all excited when I'd book one meeting with someone. Um, and I rarely would walk the halls, right, at that account. I rarely would try to go find those other influencer types who could help me with this deal, who could internally champion this deal. So you have a really great visual here. I'll just throw this up on the screen here. Maybe you can kind of walk us through what this power line is and how you can leverage it. Yeah. And, and Caroline, I'm really glad you used that phrase, walk the halls, because that this is the metaphor that is really useful. Like imagine a scenario where people were working from an office and you had a badge to get into their HQ. Yeah. And you can just go and hang out and just shake people's hands, hang out in the break room, talk to people, walk the halls of that headquarter account. That's what you are doing when you're multi-threaded and you will find through your sales cycles and you'll find the way that your company runs its process that there is some dividing line from a seniority standpoint where a certain seniority of person is able to make a decision and a certain seniority of person is not. And that's what's represented by the power line. So this, this what you see on the screen here is illustrative. This is not the end all be all for every company. Sometimes the power line will be further to the left. Sometimes it'll be to the right. The purpose of this is to show you that it exists and you need to be aware of where it exists so that you're spending the right amount of time with the right amount of people, the right level of people. Now, it's important that you talk to everybody because again, you can gain context from people that are below the line. These are, for, for Clary as an, as an example, 
individual contributors, frontline sales managers, we have the overwhelming majority of our users are them. So we need to understand what is your current approach to forecasting? What's working well or not with your conversation intelligence tools? What do you like about your deal management or pipeline inspection processes? How do you go about solving these problems today? And I can get a lot of those really good insights from individual sales reps. And then I can take what I learned and I can send that to the chief revenue officer. And I can say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. CRO, I just talked to Maya and Val and Michael. And here's what I learned about the way that you're forecasting right now. It, you're losing time here. It's inefficient here. It's not accurate here. We can solve all that. Are you interested in learning how? And that bit of context that I just provided to that CRO is unignorable. You mm -hmm. can't just pretend, the CRO can't just pretend that I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. So that is the, the way that you earn that credibility with those more senior people is that you show that you've actually done the work to understand their business. Not just, hey, I noticed on LinkedIn that you're the CRO, so you should probably buy Clary. Like that's not enough anymore. Leverage yeah. the contacts with the folks that are below the power line to inform your messaging above the line. And that's how you're going to get people's attention. Yeah, brilliant. This is brilliant. And and David in the chat says that, you know, your champion is most likely going to be below the line. I think that's totally true. That's spot on, right? Like your champion is oftentimes not going to be the decision maker who you end up selling to. Your decision maker is going to be influenced by the various champions that you did your due diligence with. Um, so folks, I have a question for everyone in the audience. To what degree are you multi-threading right now? Are you even doing this? Do you feel like this is you know, a practice that you are um, utilizing right now. And put a note in the chat if you're not multi-threading and let us know why. Um, you know, is this something that you haven't seen success with? Is this something that you've actually seen deter a deal before? Um, you know, I think both Kyle and I would be super curious to see, you know, if that's the case. Um, but yeah, Kyle, honestly, like could not have said any of that better myself. I think that that's brilliant. And, you know, if I were an SDR looking at this, I would be screenshotting and saving that stuff so that's that's great i would one other thing i'll say from a more of a tactical perspective here caroline is when you if you are lucky enough to have a direct mail service at your disposal as a prospecting person as an sdrna if you have sendosa or you have um, any any of those types of solutions yeah. you are much more likely to get traction with people that are below the line than with people that are above the line and why I promise you, a CRO doesn't care about the $20 gift card. They, they just don't care. But an individual rep, that's awesome. Like, hey, I'd love to get a $20 gift card to Starbucks. You just made my day. Thank you. So what our team does and what we found successful is we do these, what we call the 20 for 20 little, uh, that's the subject line of the email, of the LinkedIn message or email or whatever it is. It's like, hey, for 20 minutes, just have a handful of questions. I'd love to ask you about your current approach to XYZ and $20 gift card in for you. And it's, it's that kind of thing that's like a mutual exchange of goods where, okay, this is worth their time. They're going to get something out of it. I'm going to get something out of it. It's a quick conversation. Often it doesn't even take 20 minutes, probably closer to five or 10. Yeah. But it's that kind of thing that we we get way better results with our direct mail efforts for folks that are below the line than above. Mm. Kyle, I see I see a couple things in the chat here about you know some influencers not wanting to give away this sort of information. What would you say, you know, if you're reaching out to like an individual contributor even and you're asking them about their process and their workflow, how do you approach that so it doesn't feel like you're trying to like violate their privacy or like ask them too many detailed questions about their day to day? Like, how would you approach that? Yeah, the the nice thing, and, and I understand that where you're coming from. I don't know, uh, Mega, it looks like we asked the question. Um, 
The nice thing about typically when you're reaching out to folks that are uh, on this kind of below the line spectrum, I don't mean to diminish their importance. It's just a fact of life. They can't sign the deal. They don't have decision-making or budget holding authority. So like that's, that's the distinction here. But the fact of the matter is there's just more of them. Like at a thousand person account, there are a hundred AEs and there's one CRO. (laughs) So (laughs) you get to kind of cast something of a wider net. And if you ask enough people, you'll get yes. You don't have to hear from all of them. Like I mentioned before, if I hear from two or three of them, I have a pretty dang good idea of what's going on inside that account. I don't need to talk to all hundred. I just need to talk to a small handful, build the POV, have firmer ground to stand on. When you do reach out to that one CRO, that way you can make um, more of a difference. And really what you're doing here is you're standing out like no one else is doing this. No one else. 1% of prospecting folks are doing this. So that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to show that you're, you're putting in the grunt work. You're doing the hard stuff that nobody else is able or willing to do, and you're creating a powerful POV. And you know that you can genuinely help the business because of the grunt work that you've put in. Absolutely. And I coach around something that I call the research referral. And, you know, I, it kind of, uh, I was inspired by Sam McKenna. I interviewed her on my podcast about eight months ago, and she was talking about how she used to do this uh, too. And it's so similar to this, right? Like you talk to a bunch of people who report to your decision maker, and then you go to your decision maker and you're like, I've talked to all these people. All of a sudden your outreach isn't cold anymore. That's that's warm, right? Like you, you can put people's names in the subject line of that email to have a higher chance that they're going to see that and open that and be interested. So, you know, for anyone here who prospects, who's listening, just this is a really, really good trick. It's not even, I wouldn't even say it's a trick. It's just a good tactic. You know what I it's mean? It's just a, it's a methodology. And yeah, what you're doing at Caroline, and I, I love the way, I, Sam McKenna is just one of the best people in America. She's fantastic. If you don't <laughs> follow her on LinkedIn, you should. Um, yeah. But what, what, what I, the way that I frame this is you're manufacturing warmth. Like it shouldn't feel cold if you are going about your work this way. You are warming things up for yourself by creating this POV, by doing this research, by going the taking the extra steps that other folks don't take. You are manufacturing warmth. So your email doesn't seem cold. Like notice your CRO, you should buy Clary, is a cold message. Yeah. But I talked to three reps on your team. Here's what they told me. Here's how we can help. That is a warm message. And it's all the the output of the work that you put in. And by the way, like for people listening, I feel like that you also can disqualify people if you do that. You can disqualify people quicker. You know, it, it's it's about not wasting your own time too, as much as it is about not wasting you know decision makers' time. So you might find in your conversations with some of those below the line folks that hey, this isn't actually a good fit. <laughs> you know, that this actually isn't going to work out, and then you've saved yourself some time. So yeah. I think that's fantastic. Um, so Kyle, you know, the point of today's webinar is really to talk about how to get meetings to stick, right? It's no secret that this is a tough economy. We want people to be showing up to these meetings. We've got to kind of work overtime to build this value. Um, You have a really great kind of visual of a checklist, a pre-meeting checklist. So I'm going to pull this up here. Maybe you could kind of walk our audience through what this means for you. Yeah, sure thing. And we'll talk about more of the content of these uh, later on in the presentation. So we'll talk about that in a second. But I, I want to introduce this concept by saying, and this is a lesson that I learned in my SDR days where like, I literally, I knew the first and last names of all the people I was reaching out to. I felt like they were friends of mine. Like I knew them because I was researching them and I'd been emailing and calling them for weeks, if not months, and they didn't know me. <laughs> so, and that doesn't change after you book the meeting, right? They are my number one priority. My job is to get their attention and get time with them. <laughs> but I am nowhere near the top of their priority list. 
And yeah. so there's this mismatch in how much I care about them versus how much they care about me. And it's up to you to continue, it was up to me, it's now up to you to continually close that gap that exists in the differing levels of priority. And that's what this, this is meant to do. Like you, it's probably not uncommon for people to book a meeting and it doesn't happen until two, three, four weeks out. So if you book the meeting today and it doesn't happen for a month, the day of the meeting is going to come and they're going to be like, what is this? Can't yeah. No show. Never mind. Like, I don't have time for this anymore. Versus if you book the meeting today, it happens in four weeks. And next week, you send them a really thoughtful email about the value they're going to get from the meeting. And the following week, you show them a little one to two minute demo of an area of your product that you think is going to be really compelling when you sit down for the fuller demo meeting. And then you you keep dripping things out like that. And then ultimately culminating with a, a day of reminder email the morning of the meeting. You're showing them that there's actually going to be value here. You're closing that prioritization gap and you're building, again, credibility with them that shows them this is going to be a good use of your time. Time is everybody's most valuable asset. I know that's trite. I know it's ever said, but it is true. And if you can show them that you're going to make good use of that time by showing them you understand them, that's what this uh, pre-meeting drip is really meant to do. And the enablement and operations in me would like to remind everyone, if you're going to be, uh, you know, sending reminders like these, I think you should always send them as tasks or have specific sequences, um, you know, for checking back in, re-engaging, nurturing, whatever it is prior to this meeting. Um, because if you leave it up to your memory, even if you have the best memory in the world, stuff's going to slip through the cracks. So if you don't already have like a sequence for this type of thing, this is a brilliant checklist. You should consider creating templates or a sequence for this so that you can also test the success rate. Like what's the success rate of doing something like this versus not following up at all? Um, That's right. That's right. So being data-driven is super, super important in this regard. And Brad said it in the chat. He said, how do I avoid being a pest here? I don't want to bother them. And the answer to that, Brad, is by adding value. Like if you're just sending them an email that's like, hey, looking forward to meeting in three weeks, looking forward to meeting in two weeks, looking forward to meeting next week. Like that's not a value add right. drip. It needs to be connected to the research that you've done on the account, the POV you have on the account, the, the things you know already, and the problems that you can solve for them. And if you just keep showing them the extension of the reason they took the meeting in the first place, and you just keep making that stronger and stronger by adding more and more value, being sure that you're personalized to that account or to that person, that you will not be a pest. You will be adding value to their life. And again, we'll talk more about the content of this in a couple minutes. So stay tuned for a little bit more on that. But my, don't worry about it. I'm with you, Caroline. Like Create a, a sequence, create a the cadence flow, whatever you call it so that you know the timing of these things, but the content of those emails does need to be bespoke to the person. So make sure that you're actually adding real value to this person's life and you will avoid the, the pest moniker, I promise you. Yeah, absolutely. And Jane, I love that you asked about, you know, this, or I love that you mentioned speaking about the pain that you're solving for them. Kyle and I are going to talk a little bit about like our perspectives on pain and digging in there. So really great question. Um, so you and I, Kyle, have talked a lot about, you know, understanding on a deep level your persona and how this is really the primary importance that you need to be, um, you know, keen on on researching prior to even reaching out. Because a lot of what makes a meeting stick is having a good initial call with this person, actually earning intrigue, earning time. Um, so I'd love for you to go through how to understand your persona on this deep level. 
Yeah, so it's such a good point, Caroline. And, and a lot of what we're talking about, how do you add value to somebody's life? Well, you actually have to understand their life. If yeah. you're just creating blanket statements uh, like that have no real connection to the person you're reaching out to, they're not going to care. So you really need to take it upon yourself to learn at these four different levels about all of the personas that you sell to. Not And most of training, unfortunately, stops at the bottom most level you see on the screen here. What do they do? Like, okay, yeah, I understand what a VP of Revenue Operations does. That's that's fine. I have the one sheet my product marketing team gave me and that's enough. It's not enough. You need to really put yourself in their shoes. Read the things that they read, subscribe to the newsletters that they subscribe to, the blogs, whatever it may be, like listen to the podcasts that they listen to. All of this stuff is really easy to do. It just takes it takes you. It's incumbent on you to go and do it. If you really want to add value to somebody's life, if you really want to be able to speak to them as, as a peer, you have to understand what they do at a deep, deep level. And some of that will come from you know the normal course of your prospecting and the one-on-one conversations you have with them, but you accelerate the learning curve by going out of your way and doing the things that you see on the screen. This is something that uh, I've worked with thousands of SDRs, thousands of sellers in my career. 1% of people do this. Yeah, You will stick out. It takes time. It does take time. And this one, like, the, I didn't even, I, to be honest, Kyle, I hadn't even thought of this when I was an SDR, like thinking about how they are measured, like what are their KPIs? This is so important, right? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Because if I'm, if I don't actually know what success looks like to them, then I can't speak to how I'm going to make them successful. Right. And so <laughs> much of success, it, it has to be quantifiable. And so knowing the KPIs, knowing the metrics, knowing the things that actually matter to them and how they will be measured, what's going to determine whether or not you get promoted? What's going to determine whether or not you get budget for another thing? Normally, there are some metrics that matter to these folks. And if you do what you saw in the previous slide and you're reading and listening and and living in their world, you're going to start to pick up on these things. You're Mm -hmm. going to start to learn new metrics. And then you're going to be able to tailor your messaging around these metrics to say, here's how we improved this company's customer acquisition cost. And we can do something similar for you. Here's how we decreased your sales onboarding time and increased rep productivity to the point where they had whatever sort of margins they had on on their sales. Like you're going to learn all these different ways of communicating that are much more meaningful because they're based in metrics. If you ignore these metrics, if you don't go out of your way to learn them, you're not going to be able to have as useful conversations with all these folks. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, Casper asks in the chat, how do you find the information on how they're measured? Um, and, you know, what I used to do as an SDR is I would just go around to a ton of lookalike personas and people who shared their titles. And I'd be like, hey, could I buy you coffee and pick your brain for 15 minutes? And I would just I would ask those people. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you agree with that practice. hundred percent. Like the persona that you're selling to works at your company. Yeah, I promise you. Set up a lunch and learn thing for you and your team and ask them or like, like Ronnie said in the chat, he was being a little tongue in cheek, but chat GPT. Yes. There's also a, a little search engine out there. It's called Google. You could use that as well. Like take it upon yourself. Don't expect these answers to be given to you. Go out of your way to proactively find them. And again, if you are subscribed to blogs and listening to podcasts and that you're going to start to hear these metrics in passing, and then you can just go look up what they mean and you can stitch it all together. So it's not impossible to learn. It just takes that extra level of effort that most people aren't willing to do. 
Absolutely. And this one too, what's holding them back? This is so important. If you can understand why they fail, you can understand how to help mitigate that risk, right? 100%. And and it, many times f- success or failure will be tied back to metrics. So all these things are interrelated, but you really need to know what is difficult for them. What are the implications of them succeeding or failing to the business, to their team, whatever, to their department, whatever it may be. And then how do people often go about solving these problems? What is the status quo solution to these problems? You really need to understand that so that you can speak to why your solution is better than the status quo and why they should go out of their way to go through the difficulties of a buying process, of the change management of implementing your solution to actually solve this problem in a more meaningful way. Yeah, absolutely. These are all absolute gold. And then I think last but not least, right, who do they report to? That's super yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like you got to know to the best you can. I don't mean to say you need to like have an actual org chart figured out, but you need to know who a CRO is accountable to. They Mm -hmm. report into a CEO. They have a very close relationship with a CFO. What does that mean? What are the implications of those relationships? How do I need to speak to uh, a CRO through the lens of achieving a CEO's vision, strategic initiative vision, or whatever it may be? If you can understand who they're taking direction from, how their priorities are set and stitch that again back together with what success looks like, how they're measured, what they do day to day. That is a comprehensive understanding of a persona. And that will allow you to ask really good questions and give really good strategic advice. Again, a strategic partner to the people that you're reaching out to. I couldn't agree more. I mean, this really is you're positioning yourself as a consultant when you know all of this, because your solution might not be a good fit for these people once you figure all of this stuff out. But if you're positioning yourself as a consultant trying to get curious about the answers to these things rather than someone who's just trying to make a sale no matter what, you know, you, you can't lose. You're not going to inflate your pipeline with bad, unqualified leads and you're going to talk to the right people. So I think this is fantastic. Um, and Kyle, you know, when we first spoke, I asked you, what does urgency look like to you on the buy side? And you kind of helped me reframe this a little. You, can you can you kind of tell the audience what your uh, what your reframe was for me? Yeah, so so much advice that you hear from people is that you as the seller need to create urgency. You need to be the one that's creating this impetus to take some change or for them to take some action. And the fact of the matter is, that's really hard to do. It's really hard to do unless you are earning the right to do so. And how do you earn the right to do so? You have to be credible. You have to actually be able to speak to all the things that we just talked about all of the things that actually matter to this persona so that you can show them this paradigm of from the current state they're in to the future state that you are architecting for them. And you can't do that unless you are credible with them, unless you can speak the language, unless you know the metrics, unless you know the day-to-day. If you do that, they will listen. You actually know what my day looks like and what I care about. Then you've earned the right to come in and have a perspective on what I can be doing differently. Absolutely. And what do you think, Kyle, about pain hypothesizing? You know, something I promote a lot as uh, someone who coaches SDRs on the front line is to come in with a perspective. So, you know, Kyle, folks in your space are telling me that, you know, these are the challenges that they're coming up against. I'm hearing this. I'm validating this. What do you think about this? Like, what do you what do you think about that kind of a hypothesis? I absolutely love it, Caroline, because what you're doing there implicit in the way that you just said that is you're saying, hey, look, I talk to people like you all the time. I listen to people like you all the time. 
I know what's going on. I just talked to a dozen CROs yesterday. Here's what they said to me. And here's the problem that most of them are facing. Does that sound familiar? And that is a much more credible way to start a conversation than just saying, hey, you're a CRO, buy clarity. Like yeah. missing some really important interstitial moments for you to earn the right to ask for their time, to ask for their business and hypothesizing around what might be wrong is great because if you're right, wonderful. You you hit the nail on the head and move forward. If you're wrong, they can say, no, well, that's not really top of mind, but here's what is. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that approach. And I love getting curious too. When I, whenever I was met with someone who's like, nah, that's not a pain, I'd be like, wow, Good for you. That's you know, that's the first time I've heard that all week. Can you yeah. tell me what you're doing differently? Like, what's, yes. the, what's the magic wand that you're waving that you're not dealing with that issue? <laughs> like, so, you know, there's ample opportunity there, even if a prospect says, "No, that's not that's not a pain or challenge." Um, but can you can you um can you tell me what your thoughts are too, kind of on using your customer base, using your current customers to help build that credibility? Like, what do you think about leveraging use cases, customer stories in those initial conversations to really get them to show up to the next call to learn more about how you helped this person? Absolutely, yes. And I, I give this advice to anybody who will listen to me, and. <laughs> the cheeky way to say it is how many people on this call actually read the customer stories that the marketing team produces? Like, look yourself in the mirror and tell me, did you actually read that three-page PDF? Did you actually watch that three-minute video? Do you actually look at the product marketing stuff the, about the product, the customers, whatever it is that the team produces? The answer most of the time is no. Well, why the hell not? That's not acceptable. Right. <laughs> you have to do this. Like those customer stories are a gold mine. And if you actually read them and study them and understand them, then you can speak to them. You can give the two sentence overview in a conversation with a fellow CRO and you have credibility. And then you can send the full case study as a follow-up to maintain their interest. Hey, we, we talked about this. Here's how Okta is doing current quarter forecasting and out quarter forecasting. You said you'd be interested in learning more. Here's the 13 page case study that has ever, all the detail you could ever want. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. And that's it. And that's the value add touch point that again, closes that priority gap and shows them, hey, they were listening to me on that first call that I had with them. They understand my problems. They're adding value. And I'm looking forward to understanding more about this solution. You know, I, I want everyone to, to look in the metaphorical mirror, put a one in the chat if you actually do take advantage of the materials created for you. Um, I mean, look, I know that I didn't, right? When I was SDR. For the first six months, I had no clue, really, what we did for our customers. I had a script and I had charisma. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, you actually take it upon yourself to use the resources that your enablement team, marketing team, whatever it is, creates for you. You can't go wrong. Right. And, you know, Kyle, is there like a uh, any any sort of like a um, suggestion that you'd have for SDRs on how to kind of frame that when you're talking to a customer so that you're not telling them the life story of this customer, but yeah. you're hitting on like a couple main points? Yes, I, I mentioned before. And first, I should say w- there are 130 something people on the call and 10 said, yes, they listen <laughs> They're, they They read the case studies. That seems about right to me. Less than 10 percent seems about right to me. Um, so how do you actually tell these stories in a compelling way? Like, yeah, you can't read the whole three-page thing. You know, there's no one has time for that out loud on a cold call. That's not going to happen. You need to architect. And the way that I think about these things is the the from the current state to the future state or end state. 
And if you have two lines on, here's where they were, here's the problem they were having, and here's where they are now, and yep. here's a solution, that's a two-sentence thing. And if you can communicate your customer stories in that from to framing, it's really, really powerful and it forces you to stay really concise. Yeah. So Jane, you bring up a really good point. You know, you got to be careful. You got to make sure that you can name drop these people. But here's the thing, y'all. You can generalize a customer story pretty easily. You don't have to say who exactly it was to be able to talk about what we did for one of our clients. Um, so, you know, in the event that you have a really great current customer that doesn't want to be name dropped, no problem. Just generalize it. Generalize the use case. You can still talk about it. Um, and I would also say, Caroline, like the mistake that many sellers have, and and I think what Jane is is referencing here is if I'm sending a cold email or I'm on a cold call and I say, Google and Amazon and Adobe all use Clary, and I expect that to be convincing, that's right. not convincing and that's not what I'm suggesting. It's not about the names. The company that you're doing this for is, it's relevant, but it's not the meat of what we're focused on. The from to is what we're focused on here. We just help the CRO who's doing this exact same thing that you're struggling with. They were doing manual forecasting on Sunday nights. It was killing them. Implemented Clary, they got their Sundays back. Now they have a real-time accurate forecast. Like that's the customer story. Right. And so it is, again, less relevant who the company is and way more relevant about what actually happened. So focus on that, focus on the value of the customer story and less on the logo, and you're going to be in much better shape. I couldn't agree more. It's such a good, it's such a good tip for frontline sellers, especially. Um, and I'm seeing a couple things in the chat about like, hey, what do you do if you don't have marketing? What do you do if you don't have, you know, a, a, an enablement team? Yeah. Listen, you know, I've been there. Some startups are 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 Wait. not as <laughs> I've, I've been there, right? It happens. Um, you gotta take it upon yourself, right? Like you gotta take it upon yourself. You gotta do your own organization, create your own repository for your current customers. Um, I'd be hard pressed to find a company that doesn't have a list of their current customers somewhere, at least, even if it's not like readily available to you. So my advice to you would be to find that list, categorize them by, yes, I can talk about them by name. No, I can't. In any event, do what Kyle's telling you to do and start with what was their, what was their current state? Where were we able to bring them to, right? So like, what was their current state before you? What are they able to do now using you? And write some one-liners. Take a take an Excel spreadsheet, create a column for the customer, create a column for who was on the buy side, create a column for where they were before you, create a column for where they are after you, right? Like you, you got to create your own, you know, magic sometimes um, at startups for sure. <laughs> um, so I'm going to put a question in the chat here. We're going to move on to an interesting topic about pricing. Uh, so to what degree are you all on this call right now? Are you mentioning pricing on your intro calls? Do you talk about it at all on these initial calls? So think like the first cold call with a prospect. Um, and that's if you're asked, right? Or do you mean proactively? Either. I think either, honestly. You know, I, I, I'm curious as to whether people are being proactive about it. And if you are, put in the chat why that makes sense for you, because I'm curious. Yeah. Um, and Kyle, what do you think if I were your prospect? And I say, you know, Kyle, this sounds great, but what's this going to cost me? What's your answer? Yeah. So I, uh, before I answer that, it's I, I will. I would say the most important thing here, Caroline, is alignment with your sales and marketing leadership team. Make sure that you all are in lockstep around what your approach is to this and what the line is when asked. Because you will get asked. Buyers expect you to give some sort of answer to this. Um, our the, the stance that we take that I've had for years now 
is reactive. So it's not proactive. Like we on initial calls are not proactively bringing it up. But when we're asked, it is so shady to be like, ah, I can't tell you. Or, you know, we'll get we'll get into that on, on the first call. Like I promise, like, hey, Wednesday night, would you have 45 minutes? You have an hour free? Like that's just not what people expect. And so we've worked with our sales team, with our enablement team, with our marketing team to uh, shake hands on the line that is approved to say when asked. And that line is something to the effect of, well, I don't know everything about your business. And so this is not, this is a ballpark, more of a guess, more of an estimate. When we learn more, we'll be able to give you a more accurate quote. But based on what I know about your company size, um, you're probably in the 50K per year price range. When's the right time for the conversation? Are you free Tuesday at two? Mm. And just reissue that call to action right at the end. So understand the ballpark pricing issue the caveat that we need to learn more before we can give you anything that's like really accurate. But based on the size of your company and a handful of other factors, this is where I think you'd be. I love it. I think that that's great. And and I want to double click on like reissue that call to action at the end there, right? So like don't let too much time go by between saying that this is, this is the ballpark. Let's get that next meeting on the books though to talk about what the particulars will be. I think that's for sure. Yeah. My personal experience here, Caroline, is like I was so afraid when I started as an SDR. I was, you know, mid twenties. I was so afraid of talking about price because I was using my own personal lens of what a lot of money was instead of what the company's lens of what a lot of money was. So, like our base package at the time was eighteen thousand dollars a year. I was like, eighteen thousand dollars is more money than I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, I don't want to be talking about numbers that high. But right. that is a rounding error for most companies that we were selling to. So, like remove your own personal lens, say the price with confidence, and then reissue the call to action and just keep it moving. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Time is flying. We have one last topic here to chat about before we get into some questions. People in the chat were super curious after the first couple slides, like what are the ways that you can maintain their interest and drop value? Um, so you have a really great slide here of ways that you can do that. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, well, I want to address one thing in the chat right now where people are saying you should talk ROI before you talk price. Mm. And I'll, I'll say it in the chat, but I'll also say it out loud. Be really careful with that. Because when you say like, yeah, we have a thousand percent ROI, people are like, no, you don't. That's BS. <laughs> so just be, be really careful. You don't know enough. My take is you really don't know enough about their business to be able to speak to ROI. Now, you could say for other companies, you know, they're getting a 300% return on investment and we expect that you'd be there too. But you're qualifying pricing. It sounds like you're dancing around pricing instead of just saying, based on what I know about you, and we need to know more before it'll be accurate, but based on what I know, you're in this range. Are you free Tuesday at two to talk more? That is a direct, clear, concise answer that answers their question and keeps the conversation moving. So be really careful with ROI. It's very difficult to talk to and in many cases causes people to roll their eyes more than get excited. So just be careful. Such a good point. Now, on this, uh, the actual content of the pre-meeting drip. So we've mentioned before that you're you're a strategic partner, you're trying to add value, you know a lot about their personas, and here are a handful of ways that you can send a meaningful, non-pestering note to them that reminds them of the value that they're going to get in the actual meeting itself. So we've uh, number two, we already talked about testimonials. If you spoke with that CRO and they're having this problem with losing their Sundays to forecasting, and you've actually read your case studies, and you know that one of your case studies says, here is a CRO going through something exactly the same thing, send that over. 
here's the problem they were having. Here's how they fix it. Here's their new life. It's way better. Looking forward to talking to you next week. And that's, by the way, is always the close of the email. I'm not asking them for anything else. I'm saying, here's a way that you could edu- get a little more educated about what we're going to show you. Get excited. Talk to you then. That's it. Value add. Number four here, I think, is really important, which is something most SDRs do not do, most AEs do not do, which is demo snippets. I mentioned it before. Like, if I talk to an AE or a, to a, a CRO, and they're saying that they're having a really hard time with manual forecasting processes, it takes forever. I want to do a 30-second demo of what the forecast submission process looks like inside Clary and send that over to them. And you can use Vouch, you can use Vidyard, you can use whatever to, to send these videos. But you, as an SDR, as an AE, need to be able to demo the product. You need to actually be able to know what you're talking about so that you can give them something that's really useful. Um, genuinely engaging with them on LinkedIn, number three. If you sell to an audience like we do, we sell to salespeople, to marketing people. Those folks, for the most part, are pretty active on LinkedIn. If your audience is active on LinkedIn, engage with them, like their company posts, understand what's going on inside their company, like their CEO's posts, just be there, be a sponge, get more information. And then of course, the prospects that are on the call, if you can engage, comment on their posts genuinely, not like looking forward to next week. That's not what you say on LinkedIn. You have a meaningful, thoughtful comment about whatever they're posting that just shows them that you are, you're a real person. Um, So it's these types of things. It's not rocket science. It's just taking the little extra bit of effort that, again, most people don't do to prove that the time is going to be worth spending for them. We couldn't agree more. So we really only have time for a couple questions here, but I do want to sort of touch on some of the questions in the Q&A. One of those questions, Kyle, I think you're going to love. This is, in your experience, how can you tell the difference between someone who's genuinely interested and someone who just has happy ears? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that it's it's really hard early on. And, and Caroline, you already talked a little bit about kind of the qualification, the disqualification that you can do. Like, I, I want to understand how burning of a problem they have right now. If they don't seem like this is really going to be top of mind for them, then you're going to be forcing a square peg into a round hole if you just try and jam the, that meeting on the calendar. So, you know, be really thoughtful about the questions that you're asking, the information that you're gathering. And, you know, oftentimes you will need to do some convincing that the problem is burning enough. But if you can't get them there, it's going to be really hard ultimately to do so. So, yeah, there's no easy way to do it. There's no magic formula for it. But And it takes a little bit of time to for you to develop the capacity to know what somebody who's really interested sounds like. That's often what it is. Like, how enthusiastic are they about the problem that they have? How willing are they to give you more information? And yeah. The more enthusiasm, the more willingness to share information, the, the more excited they are and probably the more worthwhile it's going to be. Now, that does not mean that the other side of the spectrum is an automatic DQ. Like, that's not what I mean. But you, you got to take a, a handful of chances, especially early in the funnel and, you know, do everything you can to qualify, do everything you can to create urgency via credibility. But it's not a perfect system. It never will be. Yeah. And I'd say too, make sure you're not the one with happy ears either, right? Like make sure you're not just hearing what you want to hear. When you're qualifying someone, especially if someone comes inbound with a pricing request or something like that, don't get too excited before you actually get to know, you know, what is this person's needs? Where do they fit into our system? What's their team's challenges? Things like that. So I'd say happy ears goes both ways. Make sure you don't have them either. (laughs) That's really important. Um, couple other questions we have here. So Kyle asks, could you outline this strategy when prospecting into cybersecurity solutions or outside of sales prospecting? Um, so anyone in the cyber field, 
apparently wouldn't accept a voucher to outline insights around their cybersecurity strategy. Um, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, then skip the incentive and just ask for the time. Yeah. I just have a couple questions for you. Um, hoping for five minutes of your time. Here are my questions. Um, would love to talk live, or if you have a minute to answer via email or LinkedIn, that'd be great. So just skip the incentive part of it and uh, cut out the middleman. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I, I, I totally agree. Um, so this was fantastic, and I want everyone to please go uh, follow Kyle, connect with us if you haven't already on LinkedIn. Um, and if you found this valuable, we would, of course, appreciate it if you would share this with your network, too. So thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. This was really fantastic. Thank you so much, Kyle, for hopping on. Thanks so much, everybody. It's been a blast. Awesome. Have a good day, everyone. Bye now. Bye.